Can you just lift those hands up now? Raise those hands to the Lord. Recognize His presence. Yes, Lord. Oh, He is here. represented by a hand this morning. Sing now. grateful for that this morning. Lord, that you're here. That's really all that matters, Lord. Father, we've came, Lord, and gathered in this building. Lord, represented here today by hands that are lifted up as various needs. Lord, various circumstances. Lord, that were maybe here even before I arrived, Lord, and different conditions. Behind each hand, Lord, is represented a special need, Lord, maybe upon the individual's heart, maybe for someone else, maybe for their children, maybe for a health issue or, Lord, a blood issue or a financial issue or, Lord, whatever it would be this morning, oh God. We're so glad that you're here. You make all the difference, Lord. We believe, Lord, that you're the same, Jesus. You're the same that was yesterday. You're the same that'll be tomorrow. You're still the same today. And we reach out now. Lord, your prophet said that people must get in the spirit of the last days to have the last days. So that means we must get in the spirit, Lord, of revival to have revival. Your prophet said you must get in the spirit of healing in order to have a healing service. So, Lord, we just enter in right now, Lord, into that other dimension and that spirit of supernatural, Lord, where all things are possible. We believe it, Lord, for every life, Lord, the, this church, Lord, Brother Ed, his family, the pastor, the deacons, trustee board, the officers, the musicians, Lord, from, the, from this stage all the way to the back, 
I pray, Lord, a special blessing would come this morning. Lord, as you come by and minister, Lord, may we recognize your presence. Your prophet said the reason people don't reverence you is because they don't recognize you. Lord, but we're a people who have recognized your presence, Lord. We recognize you in a real way, Lord. This church, Father, we lift hands up today, Lord, because we recognize who's amongst us, Lord. Father, and we just agree in faith in one heart and one mind and one accord. We just agree and say, have your way, Holy Spirit, as we give you now their preeminence, Lord. We become subservient, Lord, to your spirit and what you desire to do this morning. Grant it now, Lord, to each and every single person, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And the church said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. I greet you in the name of the Lord. It's a privilege, great privilege to be here and uh, to be here with you and certainly have enjoyed myself. I appreciate Brother Ed for inviting me and having me and, and I've just uh, so enjoyed his fellowship and his friendship and uh, his family there and the different believers we've had a chance to spend some time with. I'm almost wondering if I'm in the south. Am I really up here in the north, Brother Ed? My goodness, after some of that singing, I was thinking, man, there's some southerners back here. <laughs> Came to hear me preach all the way from South Carolina. But no, I think just uh, the spirit of the living God Amen. is the same no matter where you go. Amen. And it's a kindred spirit. Makes us feel right at home. Amen. I believe the Lord has something special for us today. I just want to... Uh, move out of the way now and step aside and let him say what he wants to say. And I just trust that you'll be able just to enter right in with me and may not know any of you or maybe just uh, some of you, a few of you. Amen. But I believe that the Lord Jesus knew you when you were born. He knew you in your greatest victories and he knows you in your greatest struggles. Amen. And he's a true friend. There's no friend like Jesus. Amen. And I believe that he's here today to meet your expectation. Amen. And so I just uh, bring you greetings from back home from my father and the church, Brother Jason Watkins and the Bethel Tabernacle, the church back home sends their greetings. And uh, we're just so glad to be gathered here with you. Amen. This morning, Joshua chapter four, if you have your Bible, we'll go straight to the word. Joshua chapter four. Okay. Excellent. seen the Lord do some really supernatural things. I believe it's not just happening where I'm at or where you're at, but I believe there's globally the Lord, the spirit of the Lord is, the, Brother Branham said it this way. He said, when all hell turns loose, all heaven turns loose. And so you might feel like all hell's been turned loose in your life, but just know all heaven turns loose. We're living in an age where all hell, we can see it more visibly now. It's not in any kind of covert way that the devil works. Now it just is right out in the open. But when he's right out in the open, I've got to believe heaven is right out in the open. And the Lord wants to, as much as the devil wants to manifest himself, Jesus wants to manifest himself in a real way. Amen. And so I just, I want to minister to you this morning and Lord Willem will go the same direction tonight on a title anointed by the supernatural. In Joshua chapter 4, we'll just begin reading it, the first verse. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, 
Command you them, saying, take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm. Out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm. That's going to be important. Twelve stones, and you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge this night. And Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe a man. Let's move on down to verse 6. That this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what mean ye by these stones? So catch it. The Lord knew the future. He knew what was coming. He knew there would be a falling away and there would be a generation of children saying, what do these mean? And so he provisions something present day and Joshua recognizes it and says, we're going to take a stone, we're going to cross Jordan, and when these priests stand in the water, Jordan's going to part, Israel's going to pass over cleanly through Jordan. And he says, and now out of every place where the priest's feet stood, take a stone because these stones are going to represent where the priest stood and where they stood, what they stood on, what they believed, what they preached, what they stood for. And he says, and they're going to represent when children begin to ask fathers. Now, remember what our promise is. Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet. And and he says, and he shall turn the heart of the children back to the faith of the fathers. Not Abraham's faith. Faith of Abraham's good. But this this is Abraham's faith, the original faith. And so he says, take out of every tribe of man, these stones shall be a memorial forever. These stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. Turn also, if you would, to King, 2 Kings chapter 2, and I'll just, before you're seated, we'll read one more scripture as we begin here this morning. Just uh, wanting to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, I ministered this in a few, three or four different times, uh, parts, different, and anytime you have that. Uh, you know, I know that the inspiration maybe would be different uh, for here maybe than what I've ever preached before. The Lord will take me, I'll be honest with you, I don't have really hardly any notes here before me, just inspiration upon my heart. So you draw out of, out of uh, Brother Branham said it this way, that little woman who had that blood issue, and he said, Jesus, the Father had showed him everything, he said, but he didn't show him that. And he says, but by her faith, she reached out and touched the hem of the garment, And he says, and by her faith, she drew out of Jesus whatever she needed. And Brother Branham says, you operate the gift. You take me right out of my notes, right into something else, and the Lord will meet your need. Amen. And let's just look at 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elisha said unto and Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as my soul, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Move on down here just to verse six. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry here, now this is Jericho, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. Move to verse 8. And Elijah took his mantle 
and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were going over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee. In other words, Sister Hattie, whatever you ask right now, it'll be done for you. Brother Branham says that when Hattie Wright spoke the words and said, that's nothing but the truth, Brother Branham. Brother Branham says when she said that, now notice your words change the atmosphere. When you speak, not when you think, when you speak, it changes something in the atmosphere. You say, Brother Matt, that means that something physical can have a supernatural consequence? Oh, yeah. Why did Jesus spit on the ground and rub uh, mud together and put it in a man's eyes? Why did Naaman have to go dip? And one time wasn't enough, two times wasn't enough, three times wasn't enough. Brother Branham's standing with Banks Woods and he throws up a rock in the air. And Brother Branham said that that little rock disturbed the atmosphere. And he says, and it started a little whirlwind, and when it landed, it nearly sank Alaska. So you say, Brother Matt, what does that mean? I say today, if you've got doubt surrounding you, you've got fear surrounding you, disturb the atmosphere around you. Speak the word of God. It changes things. The prophet of God said, when Hattie said those words, it moved all of heaven. <laughs> I love that. And Brother Branham says, Sister Hattie, you ask whatever you need right now. It'll be done for you. And Elijah says, Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee. Let's look at it here before we're seated. And Elijah, verse 9, and it came to pass, Elijah said unto Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Now, not hard for God, not hard for Elijah. He was leaving. But the hard thing would be that this is a hard way that you've chosen, Elisha. This is a hard request. And he says, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. He cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from from him and smote the waters and said, where is, not Elijah, remember what Elijah told him, if you see me when I'm gone, when I leave, do you know that if you transliterate that to English, what Elijah is actually saying to Elisha is, Elisha, when I leave, you've got to see me as gone from you. Because if you stay here and see me as still here and you're still looking for Brother Branham, you're still waiting for Brother Branham, and you don't recognize he's gone, but there's still a commission. There's still a work for you to do, Elisha. You've got to see Elijah as gone. And so Elisha comes to the, the river and he says, give me the Lord God of Elijah. 
Verse 14, give me the Lord God of Elijah. And when he had also smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful, Lord, that you're here. Now, God, I just pray that you'd help me, Lord, in my own inabilities, Lord. And Father, I stand here just with everyone that's here. No different, Lord, than anybody else, except that, Lord, you've placed me a gift in my life, and you've placed me here this morning, Lord, for a specific purpose. Now, God, I believe, Lord, that you're in this building, Lord, and I pray, God, that you would just make every person now sensitive, Lord, to your spirit for whatever he will speak to them today. We ask it now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. You can be seated. So God has told Elijah that his ministry is going to end. Elijah knows that. He comes down to the very end of his journey. You're reading some of the last words you could say of Elijah. Some of the last things that he'll speak. Some of his last moments he's going to have here on earth in front of Elisha. Elisha had watched this ministry and no doubt would be in great awe and, 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 and in admiration from the way that God had used Elijah. He watched him and some of the mighty miracles that God performed through the ministry of Elijah. And now you're reading some of the last things that Elijah has upon his heart. You know, I think it's so interesting, and you can read this in the Bible, some of the last words of great men, and some of the last things that they say. And the purpose is because that generation of that man is leaving, and so they're, they're wanting to pass something down. They're wanting to transfer, if I could say that, and I've almost titled the sermon today, The Transfer of Anointing. You can see why here in Elijah and Elisha's ministry, the transfer of anointing. And so Elijah knows that there must be a, a baton, there must be a transfer, there must be a passing a, from one to the next. And Elisha's got to come under the inspiration, the same inspiration. And Elisha's got to come under the same expectation as Elijah. And this Elisha full, knew this fully well. You can see as they go to a place and here he's coming and eventually Elijah will be translated and from a chariot and he'll go to glory. And so now he's pondering, this prophet is pondering his, his last uh, days here. And, and I, I believe it was specific. It wasn't just a random journey that he takes Elisha on, but he's got something specific in his mind. And as they travel, he takes Elisha with him and they go through two cities. Now, these two cities are Jericho and Bethel. And if you study your Bible and you know that those are two very important cities in the ministry of many prophets of God. You go all the way back to, to Jacob, when Jacob's at Bethel, when he sees the angels of God appearing and ascending and descending, and he takes a stone and he memorializes that moment. And so now God has Elijah take Elisha back through these two cities that in Elijah's ministry, there was great revival. There was great power. There was great wonders. There was a, a great work that he had done in his ministry. But now Jericho that was once in revival is now backslidden. Bethel is now distant from God insomuch that they're mocking the prophet of God. And so now the, the condition has changed. It's, the circumstances is different than in the beginning of Elijah's ministry to the end of his ministry. 
At the beginning, you have great healing campaigns and great revival and great move of the Spirit. There's great acceptance to the minister of Elijah. There's great doors that are opened up and everyone wants to take a part of, of the ministry and they want to take a part of the supernatural that God is doing. Oh, but how it changed when Elijah came into his real ministry. And now doors are closing and now no one wants him. And now he's saying on tape, I'm so thankful for your pastor here that's called the inspiration. And for these doors that have been opened to me. You even look at when Brother Green started the tabernacle in Tucson. And Brother Branham comes there on tape. And he comes to some of those full gospel businessmen. And the Nazarene uh, holiness and the pilgrim holiness and the Baptist. There's even a Catholic man. And the prophet says, now I I didn't want to start a church here in Tucson. And he says, but I sat here in the desert and for three years you never invited me you never had me preach you never had me to your pulpit and so brother green stark leaves beaumont texas opens a church in tucson arizona and you know by brother green's own admission by his words brother green said the reason i started the tucson tabernacle is i wanted a church where i could say the name william branham and it wouldn't offend anybody now isn't that something brother ed where you could preach the message and it not have to explain it or hurt anybody's feelings. Oh, I'm so glad to know there's a people. I can mention God's prophet and there's nobody going to get offended by the, by the message of the hour. Hallelujah. And so Brother Branham opens, the, the doors are beginning to open. Now here's Elijah coming to the last moments. Here's his last days, his last moments, and his, David comes to the very end of his life. And you can go back and read his last words. You can read the last words of great men. Even Brother Branham, some of the last things that he had upon his heart. I spent scouring just the message over the last two months. The Lord's had me in this uh, inspiration. And I've just scoured and scoured the message just to see what was what was what was on brother branham's heart what was the closest to his heart what was he feeling you go all the way to the end and it's november of 1965 and he's preaching what house will you build me brother branham comes to a point in there and he says oh he says i don't know about you he says but if and now here he is after the seals after he understands the true meaning of the trumpets, after he understands and the angel comes and corrects him, after after the mighty God unveiled, here he's came through all of the mysteries and all of the supernatural experiences. He's seen God in a, some of the most special way you could a man's ever been recorded to have a, a, a relationship or an intimate communion with God. And here he comes to November, I think it's 23rd or somewhere in there, and he's preaching, what house will you build me? And you could hear Brother Branham on that short little tape, and he says, oh, friends, if you feel like I do, I'm so hungry to see the Spirit of God moving, I can just hardly not stand it. And this is what's burning on his heart. He says, I'm so hungry. To see the Spirit of God. He says, some of those experiences I had when I was first saved. Oh, just to feel that supernatural God once again. And Elijah's coming to the end now. Jericho's backslidden. Bethel's backslidden. And he brings Elisha. Now, here's a test. Brings Elisha to Bethel. And he says, now, here's Bethel. Reach the, the, they, come to the, they, they come to the city, as we said, that's backslidden. 
And Elijah, Elijah says, you know, Elijah, why don't you stay here? Elijah, come on. You'd make a good pastor. You'd make a good, good pastor here, Elijah. Come on, you just tarry here, stay here, stay here, build a home, have a family. You know, uh, you'd, 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 make a, you'd make a good pastor. Just stay, tarry here, Elijah. And Elisha knew something. Until I receive that anointing and that mantle that's upon Elijah, I'm staying right here. And he says, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I'll not leave thee. He comes and he journeys from there and he goes to this city, Jericho. And as we said, it's a city that's backslidden and, 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 and now here's, 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 a, here's a, a generation of people that's worse than Elijah's ministry. It's worse than, than the worst days that Elijah had ever faced. And Elijah says, stay here, Elisha. Why don't, why don't you just stay here and, you know, uh, just pastor these people? Elisha said, as thy soul liveth, and as thy, as my, as he says, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I'm not leaving thee. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay right beside you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to stay right with this ministry. I'm not going anywhere, Elijah. Because Elisha knew he could never face the circumstance. He could never face the struggles that he would face in his ministry until he had the anointing in so much that Elisha knew not just what Elijah had, but I'm going to need double what Elijah had. I'm going to need twice the faith. I'm going to need twice the fire. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm going to need twice the zeal. I'm going to need a double portion of thy spirit. I'm going to need double. I know this. Now, listen, there was nothing special necessarily about the mantle. There was nothing unearthly. There was nothing, uh, you know, about the fabric or the stitching or anything in there. But, but yet that mantle, what it was, it wasn't the fabric. It wasn't the cloth. It wasn't any of the appearance of it or the type of material that it was. But it was the, it was the inheritance that the, that, the, that the anointing, that was the blessing that was upon the mantle of Elijah. It wasn't the mantle. It wasn't anything special about the mantle. It wasn't anything special about the garment. But it was that it was drenched. It was saturated with a promise. Or I could say it this way, a purpose. And so when God commissioned Elijah... He would commission a commission that would pass from Elijah to Elisha to John the Baptist to, to Brother Branham all the way to the end time. Do you realize this Elijah anointing was a special purpose? There was no other man who had this anointing. There was no other ministry that had this mantle. There was great men, great revivals, great healing services, but there was only one Elijah anointing. And that anointing would pass. It was passing through. It was a transfer. And Elisha knew and uh, there has to be a transfer of that promise. There has to be a transfer of that expectation. There's got to be those promises that were Elijah's have to become Elisha's. And he has to come under the same anointing. Because as we said, that mantle was drenched with the purpose that God had. Now, this wasn't man's idea. It wasn't man's purpose. It wasn't man's planning. It was Jehovah's. 
And so God would take his burden. God would take his vision. God would take his purpose. And he would transfer that purpose to a prophet named Elijah. And then Elijah would then be baptized or anointed. This is what an anointing means. Now, we don't say it as the catchphrase, charismatic church, you know, anointed. And I'm anointed. And it's almost like clickbait, anointing, anointing. And there is a true anointing. But let me tell you something. The anointing is not a sensation, not just a sensation that you feel shivers up your spine or goosebumps. I love this power of God in my flesh. I don't know why anybody wouldn't. I love when the Spirit of God moves from my mind, from my heart, and I can feel it in my flesh. Speaking tongues, dancing the Spirit, I don't see how anybody would ever want that. But let me just say the anointing that I'm talking about is not an emotion that you feel. It's not an intellect that you understand. It's a purpose of the promise of Jesus that's been transferred off of a Bible and into your life. Where that promise no longer is ink on paper, but you take a hold of it for yourself. Because that anointing is a purpose. That's why when we anoint you with oil, there's nothing significant about the type of oil that we have or the brand that we have or that it's olive oil. It's significant that it's olive oil. But there's nothing. It's not the oil just so you can get oily. We don't anoint you with oil so you can get a sensation or get a feeling. But what are we doing? That oil is representing in a natural way. Remember, a natural action can have a supernatural reaction. Don't ever forget that. You say, God doesn't matter how I act naturally. God's looking at how you act naturally. Because sometimes it takes something natural to move heaven. As had he had to speak naturally. You say, it doesn't matter if I say amen to the word of God. As long as I just think in my mind, I'm agreeing. Listen, friends. God is looking for your natural. God cares about your natural reaction to the word. I get in trouble for saying that, but it's the truth anyway. God, it, it's important to God. You say, all oh, those people are just getting more. Listen, you see, you get, some people want to criticize camp meetings. They want to criticize, you know, the power. Well, you say, Brother Matt, what is all that is? It's a group of people who get under expectation. That's all it is. And when a group of people get in one mind, in one accord, under one expectation, nothing's impossible. All the promises of the Bible are made yours. What does it take? Not some special preacher, not some special ministry. It takes a people who believe the word. And that word's transferred from the Bible down to your pew and to your seat, into your heart. Hallelujah. And so he had this, he had the, the, this was what this mantle was. It was his expectation. It was the purpose. This is what an anointing was. This is what an anointing means. An anointing, if you look up the Greek word, it's the, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the word, but it simply means a rubbing or a smearing. Listen to what the prophet of God says here in our first slide, and we'll stop, but notice what he says here. And he says, may the Holy Spirit teach us today. And he says, the things, I don't have the clicker, you can just follow. He says, may the Holy Spirit teach us today. Here it is. Thank you, Brother Ed. Now notice what the prophet says. May the Holy Spirit teach us today the things that we ought to know. And may we then 
in return, listen closely to every word. Weigh it deeply. You say, Brother Matt, what's he saying? That means that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. Let me say this to you. The Holy Spirit always wants to talk to you. The Holy Spirit always has something. This is what the prophet's saying. May we listen close. May we catch it, Lord. You know, I was studying that just here recently. Couldn't believe how many times you would hear the prophet of God on tape. And he would say, don't miss it. He'd come to a sermon and say, now don't miss it. He'd come to a sister in the prayer line as she's passing. Oh, sister, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't, don't miss it. He'd come to the crescendo of a sermon and he would cry out. Oh, don't miss it, church. Oh, I just felt the inspiration of that and said, Lord, I don't want to miss it, God. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to be distracted and thinking of something else. When you speak, Lord, I want to hear. I want to understand. I want to be ready and sensitive to when you speak, Lord. Because the Holy Spirit's wanting to speak. Then may we, though, listen to my way of tape, may they listen close. May we be able to catch What the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal to us. For we realize if he should anoint us, then the anointing is not in vain. It's for a purpose. It's for a purpose. The anointing's for a purpose. I'm preaching to you on anointed by the supernatural. So the anointing's for a purpose that it might work to the good, to the Lord, and may our hearts and understanding be open, Lord. So he says, may we hear it. May we heed it. May we listen closely to what the Lord wants to say. So that anointing, is it means a rubbing. This is what the word anointing means. It means to smear or to rub with oil. So this is what they would do when they were going to consecrate a vessel unto the Lord. You can take a man, it was born for a special purpose, and God's going to anoint his life. You could think of Samson, he's anointed. You could think of, 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 of Shamgar, he's anointed. What, what is it? He comes under the anointing. The prophet of God later talks about Moses as the difference when Moses intellectually knew the word, and then when he was anointed, his intellects, became anointed. There was a very big difference in that Moses. Brother Branham says, when you meet the burning bush, it anoints your faith. You're taught it. You're taught it. You learn it. You believe it. You accept it. You read it. Oh, but when you meet that burning bush for yourself, then everything that mom and dad has instilled in you becomes anointed. That's why it doesn't, you say, Mom, what can I do, Brother Matt? What weapons do I have to fight the devil with? Tell them the Word of God. Teach them the Word of God. That's all you have to do. It's not your job. Listen to me, parents. If there was a button you could press to give your children the Holy Ghost, I promise you every single person would be smashing that button up here this morning. If I gave you a button, you say, push it right here. You'd be pushing that button so fast. Listen, if you could give your kids the Holy Ghost, you would. But it's not your role. It's not how God made it. You say, then what can I do to fight the enemy, Brother Matt? Live the word. Preach the word. 
Teach the word. Tell them the word. Bring them to church. Put them in the house of God. Get them in the right atmosphere. And then put your faith in a promise that the word you've sowed into their hearts, when the anointing of the Holy Ghost comes, that seed will come to life. And no devil in hell can stop it. Mom, you might have prayed, and Dad, you might have prayed, and you might be waiting on that promise. I'm going to give you an, an anointed word that the Lord gave me in the office. Don't give up on your promise. Don't give up on your miracle. Don't give up on what you've been waiting on. God's still going to perform His word the same way. Don't let the devil reinterpret it to you. Don't let the devil tell you it'll happen maybe differently. Circumstances have changed. Let me say this. God will do it the exact way He told you. Oh, that's for somebody today. Let me say, don't give up on your miracle. Don't give up on your promise. God yet will perform it. So this rubbing, this smearing, it was to rub or smear with oil to consecrate a life. In Bible times, you read about it, people were anointed, maybe uh, to signify God's blessing or a call or a purpose upon their life. Uh, you look at the book of James, let the elders of the faith anoint them with oil. Let the elders of the church anoint them with oil. So this anointing was a smearing. It was, it was maybe to be king. You would take David and the book of Psalms, maybe 142, I can't remember the exact Psalm. And David begins to say, oh, how wonderful it is for brethren to dwell and together in unity and and he says it's like the oil that ran from Aaron's head down from his beard down the paps all the way down through the garment all the way down to his feet onto the ground so what was that anointing high priest on the day of Yom Kippur when the day of day of atonement he'd go in there he was anointed And that anointing oil went from his head. Notice, catch it. It went from the head. Brother Branham says, is the intelligence. We've received the intelligence, the headship of the word. And he says it would move like like the oil from Aaron's head, down his beard, down the tablet. Here's the Urim and Thummim. And on that tablet are all the tribes of Israel. There's the topaz and the carbuncle and the jasper and the barrel and the onyx and the ruble. This is all of these stones. They weren't just pretty stones. They weren't just for looks. They weren't just for beauty. But behind that stone was representing a tribe. And behind that tribe was representing a family. And in that family was representing a mother and a father and a son and a daughter. This was your inheritance. And so what was the anointing? Oh, I hope you catch it today. That anointing was to move not just on the prophet, but it was to transfer to all of the families of Israel. That anointing was to go to the Urim and Thummim so that you could have the same faith and the same expectation and the same belief. Hallelujah. Why did Hattie Wright ask for her two boys? So that you would have faith to ask for your children. Why did the prophet of God speak to a storm? So that you would have faith to speak to your storm. That same faith has to transfer 
that same expectation has to transfer from the prophet to the people. And Elisha's got to come under the same anointing. It wasn't that he was going to replace Elijah's ministry. It wasn't that he was going to replace his calling or do what Elijah did. But Elisha had a ministry. And he wasn't going to receive the anointing of any other man, of any denomination, of any creed, of any idea, of any church. But the anointing that the bride was to receive was the anointing that was upon their Elijah. And that same faith and that same expectation and that same supernatural God by a supernatural work. Brother Branham says you watch a supernatural God by a supernatural word come to a supernatural people. Listen to me, friends. You're the only one who can receive this message. You're the only group of people. It's not for everybody. It wasn't designed for everybody. Only one group of people can receive that anointing. Only one group of people can believe that word. Only one group of people can stand for that word. I believe I'm preaching to that group of people right now who can receive the message for their day and the anointing that comes with it. It wasn't for everybody. So this is what that anointing was. Notice even the promises that we read about. Here, here comes, now here comes Jericho or Jordan, the river Jordan, which represents death. And here, years before this, here's Joshua. And they're about to cross over this Jordan. And God says, now, Joshua, this is going to be a special moment. What's about to take place? I'm going to use as a memorial for generations to come. Because God knew, God knowing the end from the beginning. He knew that these parents that had received the word, that eventually that generation would die. And he says, but there's coming a group of people, a children, group of children, childlike faith. There's coming a group of people who will begin to look at the back at the word and say, hold on a minute. What does that mean? Dad, what does it mean over there? What, 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 is, what does these stones mean? And so, so notice here that God says, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take all of the priests. Now, listen, this is the way we're going to cross Jordan. We're going to take all of the priests. And he says, out of every tribe, 12 tribes, he says, I want you to bring 12 men forward. And he says, and I want those 12 men, these priests. Now, notice here, this is the order to cross through death. Because remember, Brother Branham types Jordan as sin, and he also types it as death. You could type the ultimate death. You could, you, you, you could type it with the body change. Here's, here's what Jordan's going to represent. And he says, I want you to take 12 men out of each tribe, a man. And he says, and notice, when they come to Jordan and they put their foot in the water. Not before they put their foot in the water. But he says, when their foot, when the soles of their feet touch the water, Jordan will come apart. And then they put another foot, and Jordan will come apart. Then they put another foot, and then it comes apart. Notice God isn't going to do the miracle until they're willing to take the risk or the sacrifice of putting their foot in the water. You first got to put your foot in the water. You can't think it. You can't just uh, uh, listen. What you say, Brother Matt? What are you saying? Sometimes it takes something naturally to have a spiritual consequence. Yeah. 
And he says, as they put their foot in the water, Jordan will begin to part. As they put their foot, they place themselves in death. And God says, now, I want you to make a line. Come here, brothers. I want you to make a line. And this is, this is how we're going to do it. You're going to have one man here face me this way, brother. And then you're going to have another man here face, face my brother. Come on, I need, I need a bunch more guys. Come on, brothers. Come running. Stand here beside him. Come here, brother. Stand him and face the people. Come here, brother. Come here, brother. Stand here and face. We, we need an even number here. Face, face the people. There you go. One more brother. Come here, brother. Come here. Now, this is what God is going to represent. This is the ministry. And the ministry is going to have to step into Jordan themselves. They've got to go into something for everybody else. They've got to step into a channel that maybe you don't have to step into. That maybe you never contend with some of the things that they'll face, but they're contending because they're staying in Jordan, because they're stepping, they're taking their faith and they're putting their faith in the promise. And God says, now notice, I want you to notice, he says, now the people, as the priests are standing in the water, the people will go through the ministry or the priest, and they'll come out on the other side of Jordan. Now this is the order that God sent when he sent us a fivefold ministry. Do you realize what would happen if we took preachers out of the pulpit? Do you realize what would happen if preachers stopped preaching? Do you realize what would happen if men of God laid down their notes and laid down their Bibles and just pressed play? Do you realize what would happen, church? Jordan would flood our churches. They would flood our homes. They would flood our minds. I say thank God for ministry that will keep their feet in the water. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody help me preach this morning. Let me tell you, friends, I'm not taking my feet out of Jordan. I'm going to stay at my post of duty. How many with me will say I'm going to keep my feet in the water no matter what it costs me? I'm going to keep my feet planted. I'm not going to compromise, Brother Max. I'm going to plant my feet in Jordan. Thank you, brothers. Now, God says, I want you to take a stone out of where their feet stood so he goes over here with his left foot, and he places it. Now, his right foot wasn't just any stone. It wasn't just any rock. It wasn't just any place. But on the place where the priest's feet stood, take that stone there. Lay it there. Now, his, he was here. His foot was here. Lay it there. You say, Brother Matt, why is that important? Listen to me, friends. Brother Branham didn't just come back to give us theology or to give us doctrines or just to give us some good idea. But he was restoring the original faith. Of where the priest feet, the original faith. Of where they originally stood. What have you been restored back to? You haven't been restored back to an idea or just a myth or just a story or a good story. And they're good stories. There's good hunt stories in the message. There's good, good, good testimonies you can tell. There's powerful things God did through Elijah. But your hearts have not been turned back just to, su- just to sensations or just to great miracles or just to great things that happen. Your faith has to be turned back to the Word. Yeah. Only the Word can bring a revival. Yeah. This is the only thing that will stir the bride. Yeah. 
It was a restoration back to the original Pentecostal faith. AD 33, not 1906. This was the original gospel. And so he restores. This is what was on his heart. He's going to restore them back, the children back to the faith. All the way back. Notice here what Brother Brandon says in this message, Why Christ Speak. Listen to this sermon. I don't usually do this, but I listen to this maybe, goodness, probably 30 times. The Lord couldn't get away from it. It's like no matter how many times I turned it on, I'd write something else down. The Lord has had me on this so much. Listen to what Brother Branham says here in this message, Why Christ Speak. And he says, and he knows how to do these things and how to deal with man. He knows what's in man. We don't. He knows him. We don't. We only know from the intellectual side, he knows what's really in the man. Now, you might think you know yourself, but let me tell you, you don't. Only God really knows. I know everything I'll ever be, Brother Matt. I know I've pretty much found. Listen to me, friends. Only God knows what he put inside of you. Oh, I'll never be. You know, I'm just really nothing. I, I, I know myself. I know how I react. Listen to me, friends. God knows what he put inside of you. And you may feel like nothing, and you might be nothing, but if God puts something down inside of your life, there's a supernatural element to you that maybe you don't even know is sitting there. Maybe you don't even know it's there, and in time, God will reveal it with the right circumstance. God knows what he put inside of you. Listen, Moses was born in this world. (laughs) He says, and a gifted boy. He was born to be a prophet, a deliverer. He was born with the equipment. Formed in him. Wasn't going to be placed later. Wasn't going to receive it later. It was already inside of him. Do you realize when you're born of the Spirit of God, you didn't receive the seed of God at an an altar? Brother Branham says all that that did was quicken the seed that's down inside of you. Remember Brother Branham in Smyrnian church age, he talks about the apostles and he says they didn't become sons on the day of Pentecost. He says, they always were sons. But now at the day of Pentecost, they were adopted into the family as sons. So the Holy Ghost, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it doesn't make you a seed. You always were a seed. You never cannot be a seed. Nobody can take it away from you. That's why the Bible says his seed remaineth in him. It's incorruptible. Why? Because it's not, it's not this. It's not who you think you are. It's the real you that God spoke before the foundations of the world. That's why the prophet says, when you heard this, you left the other thing. You heard from your theophany. Who is that? That's really who you are. You're not that person who makes mistakes. That's not really who you are. You're not that person who messes up and has fears. Oh, come on, somebody. The real you is a believer of the Word of God. The real you is in the back part of God's mind. That's really who you really are. Do you realize Brother Adam says this and show us the Father will suffice us? He says that everything that you have need of for this life's journey, even the rapture, is inside of the seed already. Don't 
don't you realize, friends, oh, when a preacher's preaching the Word of God, I'm not up here giving you anything new. I'm not here giving you some new idea. I'm only stirring what's already there. It's already as a believer on the inside, and you grab a hold of it. It's already in you. You say, I don't know how to be a mama. I'm making a mess of this. I don't know. Listen, friends, it's already inside of you. All you got to do is recognize who you really are. All you got to do is recognize you're not of this world. Brother Branham says, I realize I'm not the son of Charles and Ella Branham. And he says, one day I found out I was in the back part of God's mind. And Brother Branham says, if I wasn't a son, I never can be. And he says, but if I am, I always was. And nothing will ever make me not a son. Not even me. Not even me. Not nothing I can do. Brother Branham says, the equipment's already born in him. Moses born, then he was afterwards, he was brought. To the place where he was anointed. And notice the seed lay in there with an intellectual conception. With all the faith he was born to deliver this people. And yet it never came to life until all of the intellect was there. Are you listening to me, friend? All of his intellect was there. Mom and dad had put it. Listen, Brother Branham goes to dramatize this. We know the story of Moses taken as a baby. Brother Branham begins to dramatize everything that he had been taught, everything that had been instilled in him, everything that he learned intellectually. Intellectually, he knew it. There's nothing wrong with that. We can say that in a negative way, but that's not what I'm referring to. Intellectual, there's nothing wrong with teaching your children the word of God. You should. It's your job. But there comes a point to where that teenager knows it here. And then it's anointed. And you know what? When that happens, mom, dad, you never have to worry about that child again. Never. You'll never have a sleepless night in prayer for them again. Why? Because now they're his. (laughs) Now they're his. You never worry. There's no more stress after that. There's been a transformation. That's a real conversion. Brother Adam says, notice there's the place where he was anointed. It was laying there with an intellectual conception with all the faith that he was born. Listen, with all the faith that he was born to deliver to this people, yet it never come to life until that light from the burning bush flashed across it. Until he seen not something, I love this so much, not something he read about, but something he seen with his eyes. Oh, Glory. Something that spoke to him, and he spoke back. I say, God, give us that kind of experience. That's something that I speak to, and it speaks back. Oh, how that did bring things to life. I think any man, notice this, or woman, boy or girl, I think in an intellectual conception of what they think the word is and so forth can never have a full foundation stand until they have met that light. You could put that picture of Brother Branham's pillar, the pillar fire over the prophet's head, but until you meet that light for yourself, until that light's on, on your life and anointing you, And it says, until they have met that light that brings a word to a reality. Notice this now hundreds of years. He says hundreds of years before this. God had said that Israel would sojourn 
and mistreat, be mistreated in a strange country would stay there 400 years, but God with a mighty hand would bring them out. So you see with this burning bush, now Brother Branham goes and he jumps from this and he's going to start talking about rapturing faith. And Brother Branham's talking about this burning bush and Moses, how that Moses had this intellectual conception. But when he got, met that burning bush and he was anointed, he said, what did it do? It anointed his faith, supernatural faith. Because Brother Branham later says, what did his intellectual faith produce? A dead Egyptian, one dead Egyptian. He knew the message, understood the message, could teach the message, believe the message. But until he met that burning bush, all those things could produce was one dead Egyptian. And Brother Branham says, notice, and he says, just like as we see a man ask me, just as we know as a man asked me moments ago about the coming and the rapture, we know we've lived the time out. And the time of the rapture is at hand. You know what that means at hand? It means it's reachable. That's what the Bible always meant when it said the Lord is at hand. Behold, he cometh quickly. Now it's at hand. Now it's within your reach. Now it's within your grasp. And he says, we know the rapture is at hand. We're looking, we're looking, we're expecting, we're believing. Who was? God's prophet was. Just like I am. Just like you are. We're looking, we're expecting, we're living, we're praying, we're believing. For a rapturing faith that can pull the church together and give it some supernatural strength that can change these bodies that we live in. Oh, I don't know about you, but I so resonate with that quote. I'm looking for a supernatural strength. I live every day of my life looking, reaching, grasping, hoping, believing, praying for a supernatural strength that can change these bodies that we live in. When we see a God that can raise the dead off of the floor or out in the yard and bring him back to life again and present him before us, when we see a God who can take a cancer that's eat a man to a shadow and raise him up to a strong, healthy man. Listen, that, that. You say, what, Brother Matt? What's that? What, what, what's that? A supernatural healing. Something that was impossible. Something that seemed unreasonable. Something that everybody had said it can't happen, yet it happened. When we see that, what was that? It was something apart. I hope you don't miss this because we've looked for so long. What is rapturing faith? We're waiting on this rapturing faith. What did God's prophet say? When we see something that was disconnected from us, totally apart from us, all we did, all that man who was healed of cancer did was believe the promise. He didn't have to perform it. He didn't have to fabricate it. He didn't have to work it up. So you mean I don't have to work up a body change? I don't have to fabricate it? I don't have to get myself psyched up to believe it enough? No. The same faith that heals your body is the same faith that will change your body. The same faith that you believe for healing is the same faith that will heal this body one day. From my head to my toe, I'll take a total complete healing. The same faith 
that saved me, which was what? A faith apart from myself will have to be the same faith that changes me one day. Brother Branham says, when we see a man, he says, that ought to give rapturing faith to the people. Came into a living room of a man. I know your pat, Brother Ed's told this a little bit. Uh, here, maybe, maybe shared some of, the, some of the story of what supernaturally, what took place back home. Had a good friend of mine, Brother Travis Jackson, back home. One of my closest friends, uh, Brother Dale Smith's son-in-law. Lord's done a supernatural work. In Brother Travis's life, unlike any, unparalleled to anything, any other testimony I've ever heard, the way that the Lord brought Brother Travis into the message is just beyond any, almost beyond belief, the way the Lord did it. He's been in our church now 15 years or however long, married to our piano player. Brother Dale's daughter there was a strong believer, never lost his zeal, never lost his fire to witness the message of the hour. And Brother Travis had went on a search looking for God, looking for, look, he would read the Bible as a, even 12, 13, 14 years old. His mom and dad were in the Baptist church. He, he would go to church. He would hear the Buford Baptist sermon. He'd go back and read his Bible, open the book of Acts, see the life of Peter. And he'd say something, where's these men? Where, where's this power of God that, that I read about in the Bible? I mean, uh, the things that they're teaching is good, but where's this supernatural God that I read about? Where's he at? He got older, a little bit older, 18, 19, started going to churches, went from, church to church to church. He was a church hopper. Sure was. And he went from that church and he'd always go to the pastor and he'd ask him. He'd say, he'd go to the youth leader. If he couldn't get to the pastor, he'd say, now brother, I know that you're, we're all wonderful Christian people, but where do we read? Where's these men that are filled with the Holy Ghost? And where I read about Stephen and the Bible says, he being full of the Holy Ghost. He says, where's these men? You know, he'd go to church and here's the deacon outside smoking a cigarette before he comes back in. And here's the men on, on Monday night having a card game and a little bit of alcohol. And he just knew something's not right with this. There's got to be, where's the God of the Bible? Went from church to church to church to church, looking, searching, searching. Found and went into his mom's closet. Till to this day, don't really know how it got there. And he's going through some of her books. Mom and dad had never been in any kind of message church or anything. And he pulls out her books. He's pulling out this theology, this Bible book, this devotion, this, this thing here. And then he pulls out this book, The Acts of the Prophet, Perry Green. And he starts reading that book. And he says, oh, now here's a man. Here's a man. He came to his mom. Mom, where, in the, where did you get that book? What book? The, the binder was, the spine was totally destroyed. There was the front, the pages, a lot of pages were missing from the book. His mom, Sister Elaine says, I don't know, Travis, I don't know where I got that book. And, uh, and so she, she takes, she's at work and a man comes in and her, she takes the book, I think, to work and she's reading it. And he sees it's a brother from our church it's years ago. And he says, oh, where'd you get that book? Well, my son found it in our closet. And he said, oh, okay. He said, let me, do, would you like, would he like more books? He, he said, yeah, I'm sure he would. So he takes the Owen Jurgerson's, the Life of the Supernatural books, the blue, blue books. And he gives them to Travis. And Travis starts reading and he starts consuming this. And he, now he's really on fire. He goes to his pastor of a local, our local non-denominational megachurch there. And he says, he tells him, he says, listen, we're, 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 here's a man who had miracles. Oh, oh, Travis. This is, now this is exactly what he told him. The apostolic age ended with the apostles, Travis. The days of miracles are over. Now, that's exactly what they told Brother Branham. 
That same religious spirit, the days, he said the days of miracles are, 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 are free. That's what he said. He said the days of miracles are past. The days of miracles are over and the apostolic age is over. And Travis said, I just didn't sit right. I knew something's not right here. If it's the Bible, it's the Bible. Either we believe all of it or we don't believe any of it. And he goes from church to church, and now he's riding in a van with a man who's backslidden from our assembly for seven years. We didn't know if the, that man was even around Buford anymore, and he happens to be working with him. And, and this man's in the truck back, living a backslidden life. They're driving down the road. They'll go into another job. And Travis would just ask everybody, have you ever heard of William Branham? So he says, hey, Dave, have you ever heard of a man named William Branham? That night, I got a phone call from Dave. Dave, hey, hey, oh my goodness, Dave, so good to hear from you. Listen, I'm not, I'm not where I should be, and an incident happened today. A man in my van, just a complete worldly guy, is asking me if I ever heard of William Branham. And he says, you've got to come tonight. You've got to meet this man right now. You've got to come to my house, and can you, can you please? He's asking. He's, he's looking, and he says, I told him he actually died. He didn't know he died. Didn't know he passed away. Didn't have all the books. He's still looking for him. And he says, he says, there's actually a church that, that, that believes that he was a prophet to the, the Gentile end of the last Gentile church age. And Travis thinking, Gentile church, what? Oh, I don't know what that is. But he says, yeah, they believe. He says, they believe he's a prophet. And Travis says, I believe he's definitely a prophet. I mean, it's pretty obvious he was a prophet. And he says, and so he says, yeah, that, that church actually believes it. And so I don't, I can't, I ain't got time to get stopped on his testimony. You'd have to hear it sometime. But needless to say, the Lord saved, brought Brother Travis into the message, saved his life, gave him everything he was looking for. Little did he know our church was about 400 yards from his house that he lived in his whole life. And he says, you mean what I've been searching for since I was 13 was right over on the next street from me? But the last church, Brother Travis is looking. Brother Travis is going to church, to church, to church, and he goes to this man's church. It's a vineyard church. It's like a dress cool, cool church. You can dress any way you want, and just a real, you know, new age type of church. And, and the, there's a man there that's an associate pastor named Marcus Humphrey. And Travis becomes good friends with him. And his last church he goes to before he comes to the message was this church. And he'd been, been with them and, and got to know him. And I actually had a chance to meet that man, Marcus. And I met him uh, at an event and he introduced me to him. Big, strong, nice, you know, healthy guy. Just you could tell he's plus 70, maybe 70 years old, but you couldn't tell. I mean, strong as could be as all of his family are in Ironman races and all kinds of real health fanatics. And he's real, real, real healthy guy. And, and so I'm just, you know, meet him. And then maybe three months elapse and three or four months and I get a call from Brother Travis or maybe, maybe longer than that. And he says, Brother Matt, he says, I've got terrible news. Mary, Marcus's wife, you remember Marcus, the man you met? I said, yeah. He said, well, he just gave me some terrible news. He's He's uh, been diagnosed with stage four. He's been diagnosed with terminal cancer, stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he says, and the doctor's given up. Chemo's failed eight times. They, they can't. He's, he's going to die. They sent him home to die. I thought, my goodness, that man who we've just seen. He said, yeah. He says, so he says, I wonder if you'd go with me to his house and could we lay hands on, on him and pray with him? And I actually invited their whole ministry team, but no, everyone was out of town that Saturday. I was the only one there. I said, absolutely. Just so happened right? Just so happened that I was preaching Sunday that next day, and I had been studying the message, what cancer is. Healing. Have you ever read that book? 
And I said, sure, I'll go and minister. We'll go and pray for this man. So we go into this man's living room, go up there from his knock on his door, go up the flight of stairs. There he is with his his wife. And there's another couple from his church, one of his trustees. And and the woman there is with him. Her son died of cancer when he was 15. And and so she's a real, real cancer uh, 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 advocate. And and, and so she's there there to to be encouragement to him. And, And so we walk into the living room and and we sit down, and Brother Travis just begins to speak, and he just begins to tell him, you know, Marcus, what's, what is it? What, what have they said? And Marcus just says, well, you know, they've, they've given up all hope, and, and you know, he says, I, I, you know, I just, uh, I didn't want to die this way, but it, it's appointed unto every man to die, and I just, he said, you know, I, 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 I've lived my life. He says, I, you know, he says, it's, it's hopeless. He said, well, is it, is it really hopeless? He says, yeah. He says, the doctors, they've chemo's failed eight times, and he has a tumor just the size of a grapefruit I could see on his neck. And that man was not the same man. He was, he was weak and real, real, real thin, and you could tell he went through chemo and, and, uh, <clears throat> and, and just was real, 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 he looked like he was, you know, going to die. And so Travis just said, well, Marcus, he says, I, I'm just going to tell you, he says, I, he says, I, I don't want to mince words. He says, because you're, you're so close to death. He said, I've just got to be real straight and bold with you. And he says, I just want to tell you, he says, when I left your church, and he says, I was there searching for a living God. And he says, I was on a search for a true and living God. And he says, and I want to tell you, Marcus, I found that God. And he says, and he's not, I'm just going to say this. He said, he's not in your denomination. He says, your denomination is dead, Marcus. Your God of Trinity, uh, of three gods, is a false doctrine, and it's a, it's a doctrine of, of the Antichrist. And he says, your baptism is baptism. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, whoa, whoa. I mean, Travis just pulled no punches. He just went straight for the juggler. And I, I didn't know he was going to say any of that. And he, and, but he's so sincere, and he, and he says, bro, he's, and this is how Travis is to everybody he talks to. He talk to anybody. And he says, he says, you know, he says, he's not in your denomination. He's not in your trinity. He said, Marcus, you're wonderful people. I believe you and Mary are wonderful Christian people. He says, but I just want to tell you that that same Jesus of the Bible is the same Jesus today. He's, been, he's restored apostolic faith to a generation of people, and there's still apostolic promises that we still believe in, and God's a God of healing, and God can still heal you. I don't care how much the doctor said. We've came here today to pray for you, Marcus, and to lay hands. And, and this is my friend, Matt. <laughs> Thanks, Travis. And I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to, res- I didn't know how he would respond. And Travis just said, now he bowed his head. And I could tell Travis had just filmed the weight of everything he said. He said, now Marcus, he said, I sure hope I didn't offend you in any way. He said, I'm. He said, it's not my desire, not my heart. To, I, be, I love you people. I believe you're wonderful Christian people. You love the Lord, but you're my friend. And he says, and, and, he says, and I want to see you live. I don't want to see you die. And he says, I just hope I didn't offend you. And Marcus just sat there, and he bowed his head, and he said, no. He said, no, Travis. Um, now, here's a man with a theology degree in theology, teaches the Bible. And he said, no. He said, in fact, when you and your friend knocked on the door, And he said, a voice spoke to me and said, these men are sent from God. Listen to what they have to say. Glory. 
Hallelujah. I felt a complete, complete change of atmosphere. And I said, okay. I said, Marcus, let me just speak to you here for a moment. And I began to testify to him. All I did was take everything Brother Branham says in that book. And I says, you know that cancer that's on your neck right now? That's not, that, that's, that there's a life that's living there. That's just the body of a, of a life. It's a demon spirit. Jesus in Mark chapter 9, when he spoke to the deaf and dumb man, he didn't say thou deaf disease, but he said thou deaf spirit. I command you. I said, Marcus, he was talking to a life. I said, he was talking to a life that was living behind that tumor. And he says, I command you, I charge thee, don't come out of the man and don't enter him again. And the man received his hearing. He could speak. And I said, so we know that these things are spirits. And I said, now the doctors can pray for him. Mary spoke up, and she was just beginning to really be attentive. She says, now, I've always believed it that way, but I've never heard it that way. She says, that's exactly how the Bible teaches it. I said, that's right. Cancer is a spirit. It's a demon spirit, just like any spirit. It's a life living off your life, trying to suck your life out of you. And I said, and if a doctor can go in there with his bag and his tools, and he's got a bag that he can, he can use all of his resources, and if he could go in there and he could use his tools to scrape it all out and get it all out, then that's wonderful. That's how God, God's used that to heal you. That's wonderful if the doctor can do that. I believe all in that. I said, but let me just tell you, Marcus. I said, when I pray for you, I, got, I said, I don't have a, a bag full of tools that the, do, the doctor has, you know, to look at your cancer. I said, but I do got a bag full of promises from the Bible. And the Bible says, lay your hands upon the sick. These signs shall follow them that believe. They'll lay their hands upon the sick and they shall recover. And I said, and when we lay my hand, when I lay my hands on you, I said, I'm not speaking to that tumor. I said, that's only the life. I'm going to speak to the life that's in that tumor if you can believe. And Mary had shown me his PET scans. Here was this man as I walked into his living room. This is Sister Elena here. I begin to testify about Sister Elena. And I said, because he shows me his PET scans. And the PET scans are full of cancer, stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I said, let me show you a little sister in Louisiana who I know personally. And I said, she was diagnosed with the very same cancer that you have. I said, she was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's, stage four, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I said, and she was, she was uh, also given no hope and no hope to live. And I showed, him her pet, I showed him the PET scans of Sister Elena. You know, I thought it was so incredible as I just went back to this even just recently. And I was, I was thinking about this testimony. And I went back to Sister Elena's Facebook. And on her Facebook, she has written something where she had, she had originally wrote down on her wall about her cancer. And, and I'm just going to read it to you today. And this is just from Sister Elena. And she says, a week before Christmas, I was diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. Two days after Christmas, I started the first 12 chemo treatments. They told me after four treatments, they would do a PET scan to see how my body is responding. I believe God is a healer. I have told that to anyone who asks how I'm doing. I told them I was looking to him and believed he would heal me. On Sunday, I leaped and danced before the Lord with joy and victory because I knew it was already a finished work. Even though I didn't know how or when, even though there was no proof yet. What was her proof? Cancer. Pet scans full of cancer. But what did this sister do? This sister did something naturally and it had a supernatural consequence. 
she made herself a spectacle. She says, I went around the church and he says, I, I, I don't, he says, I, she says, I leaped and danced because I knew it was already finished. They were singing, what have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessedness. With my Lord so dear, leaning on the everlasting arm. She says, that sounds strange to many. But in the Bible, Miriam danced before the joy before the Lord when she crossed the Red Sea. And the Egyptians who had enslaved them were drowned. David danced for joy when he saw the Ark of the Covenant brought back to Jerusalem. It's an expression of extreme joy and victory. I knew my healing would come sooner or later because the Jesus of the Bible, the great healer, the same Jesus I served for 27 years would heal me. What was it, Brother Matt? It was a supernatural faith of a little sister who the promises of Jesus were transferred from the Bible. She says, yesterday I had my PET scan, and today I met with the doctor before my fifth treatment. He informed me that the cancer is already gone. I had a seven-centimeter tumor in my lung, and multiple lymph nodes were affected. In the picture you'll see before and after, this is what she wrote here. This is what Sister Elena wrote on a note. Declare war on the devil. I said, declare war. Listen to me, friends. It's for you this morning in Edmonton. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've came here to this building before. But let me let you become under the inspiration of this anointing. Declare war on whatever you face today. Declare war on the devil for your children. Declare war on the devil fighting your health. Oh, hallelujah. Declare war on that, on that body that's hurting. Declare war on those children who aren't here this morning. Declare war on the devil who's fighting you. Declare war. No retreat. Lay hold on his promises. Be not afraid. Second Chronicles 20. Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great army. For the battle is not yours. The battle is not you, yours, mom. The battle's not yours, dad. The battle's not yours, brother. The battle is the Lord's. In the picture, you'll see the before and after. This is Sister Elena running through their church. Say, what was that? Someone believed the word. Someone broke the barrier. Someone broke through the barrier. Someone didn't care what anybody else thought. She says, but you'll see the before and after. On my PET scan, the second is totally clear. He said, the doctor, this is dramatic. Hallelujah. You know what I did? I told that testimony to, to Mary, his wife. I said, this is a woman diagnosed with the very same thing. And I showed the PET scan, and when I did it, I almost took her breath away. <laughs> and she said, it's clear. And I said, now the same God who did that for that sister, Marcus, 
same God can do it for you. If you can believe, Brother Barnum was told if you can get the people to believe, nothing will stand in your way, not even cancer. What was it? The prophet of God was here. He knew the promises of God. He knew the angel of the Lord was standing right beside him. But the people were here. So what was his job as a minister? To preach the word of God. To lift them to where he was. And when those people, oh, I hope you catch it today. If you can believe the word of God and lift yourself out of your circumstance, out of your disease and believe by faith the word of God. We laid hands for that man. As I seen him, there he's sitting, there he's sitting on his living room chair with a tumor, the size of a grapefruit on his neck. Oh, doctors had completely given up on this man. He'd given up on himself. You know, you can give up on yourself. Sometimes people don't have enough faith. They have enough faith to ask for others, but they struggle to ask faith for themselves. There's a man like that in the Bible who couldn't get to Jesus. He was in a bed, couldn't walk. So you know who came to him? His friends. I'm just obeying the Holy Spirit right now. The Holy Spirit's moving in this building right now. You see, he got to such a condition, he couldn't believe the word for himself anymore. He got to such a bad circumstance, his children got so bad off, He believed God could do it for others, but not his children. They were so bad off. It was so far away. The circumstance was so gone. So you know what happened? These men take that man. They lift him up from his bed. And they take him to Jesus. But the Bible says when they got to Jesus, Jesus was surrounded by a multitude in a home. Couldn't even get to him. But that mother, she wasn't going to stop there. That father wasn't going to stop there. That pastor wasn't going to stop there. It wasn't going to let the crowds dissuade him. They climbed up on the roof. And they ripped the roof off. And they lowered that man who couldn't have faith for himself. And Jesus said, by your faith. Not the man who couldn't have faith, but by your faith, this man will be made whole. Oh, what do you got to do this morning? Rip the roof off. Lower that person down to Jesus and say, God, I'm believing by faith as I lower them down to you. Marcus couldn't believe for himself. Mary couldn't even believe. We laid hands for him and began to pray with Marcus. Tumors had ate his body, as you can see. Normally in a PET scan, the one that he had, you can see the heart. It's black. You could see the black. uh, There's black represented for the organs, the lungs, I think it is, and the kidneys. Here you can't even see his organ. All you see is cancer. For eating his entire body up from his throat, it spread from his throat all the way down. He said, he said, I had it all the way down. Tumors the size of apples down, sticking out of my leg, just everywhere. It ate up his entire body. We laid our hands on him we begin to pray. And I'll never forget. I said, Lord, just as Hezekiah, who was offered a given a death sentence, he was going to die. You told him, prophet told him he was going to die. But yet that man asked, and you added years to his life. I said, so remember this man, Lord, who believes in you. Mary even confessed, I believe in the supernatural. I've seen it happen when I was a little girl. We begin to pray for that man. Left that, left that room. Left, that, left his living room. 
told him it's going to get worse, Marcus, before it gets better. We curse that life that's inside of you. Didn't know what happened to him. Month goes by, two months, three months, maybe had went by, I think it was about three months, and Travis just so happens to be sitting in my living room, came to see me, was sitting there, we're there talking about something, just, just uh, talking about something casual. He pulls out his phone from a text, and his eyes get about this big, and he pulls open the text, and he says, Matt, Mary just texted me. Marcus, she said, it said, praise the living God. Marcus has been supernaturally healed of stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He's 100% cancer-free. That's his PET scan. Hallelujah. If thou can believe, whatsoever you ask in my name, don't doubt, but you'll have it when you ask it. Hallelujah. Oh, you believe it today, Mom. This promise is for you. Don't give up on your miracle. Don't give up on your promise, brother. That man's a healthy man now. Cancer-free from his body. Oh, you ought to give the Lord a real clap, hand clap of praise. He's the same Jesus. He's the same God. Hallelujah. Whatsoever you ask in my name, don't doubt. Oh, you believe it? You believe it today? Do you accept it today? I'm not talking about accepting it for somebody else, but today accept it for you. Say the promise is mine. It's not the devil's. You can't have it, Satan. I adjure you by the name of Jesus Christ. Take your hands off my family. Take your hands off my children. Take your hands off my body. Take your hands off my mind. I say it today as you guys, you all stand to your feet. Musicians can return. Raise those hands up and speak to that mountain. Say, I speak to you. Whatever that impossible circumstance is here, you need prayer this morning. You want to come out of your seat and come to this altar. We'll lay hands for you. You got faith enough to believe. We'll have a prayer line this morning. That's all right. Or you can stay right at your seat and accept it right where God is. Whatever God's telling you to do, whatever unction of the Holy Spirit the Lord's dealing with your heart, I know the Lord gave me this sermon for a reason. And I believe there's somebody here today who that's for. Don't give up on your miracle. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Don't give up on your miracle. Don't give up on your promise. Maybe you need to come to show the Lord, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. It doesn't matter how long it's been. doesn't matter how many years have passed. doesn't matter what circumstances surround me right now. I want to show the world, I'm not giving up on my promise. He'll perform it the very same way he spoke it. Same God is here that was in that living room that day. Same God is here that was there with Sister Elena. The same God that was here that was there with Sister Hattie. When Brother Branham said, ask anything right now, Sister Hattie. You ask anything and it'll be given unto you. And Brother Branham says, God passed over all the celebrities, came to a little humble woman. Came to a little humble woman who could believe his word. Could you be humble enough to believe it? Oh, Jesus is here. 
Jesus is here. Do you sing that healing is here? Healing is here. Healing is here. Oh, let's just sing it now before we pray. Healing is here. Yes, Lord. Healing is here. I receive love. Healing is here. Just raise those hands now. Healing is here. Yes, I do, Freedom is here. Freedom is here. Whatsoever you need, freedom is here. Oh, freedom is here. Oh, it's yours today. It's yours today. Freedom is here. Freedom is here. Oh, and I receive it.
Write your word on my heart. time oh spirit of god write your word on my heart fill my whole being consume my love spirit of god empty vessel i want to be so that Oh